This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. I've noticed that escape rooms are growing in popularity. Have you ever been a part of an escape room experience? We, we talked about it as a family, uh, about going and paying someone to lock us in, in a room and decided we, you could do that for free at home. Nice and easy. Uh, the, the joy of escape rooms just comes from the, the search for clues hidden within the room that you piece together to unlock the secret, the information required to, to escape, to be set free from that room. And, and I was thinking about how those words of Jesus that we talked about at communion time, the, the truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free about the, the connection in our quest for truth about Jesus of piecing together the mystery of the gospel to discover the truth about him. This truth that, that frees us from the hold of sin, this truth that frees us from that captivity so that we can live our lives in him. This truth that's so critically important to our lives, so meaningful to those around us who need to hear it. And yet it's a truth that is hard to present to people in a way that they will understand it and believe it because of the way that we handle truth in our world today. Have you noticed how truth is being manipulated and twisted? How standards that were once dependable are being torn down. How, how truth is something that's a matter of subjectivity and relativism. That depending on who's in the room, that truth might change according to the way that they feel or they want you to believe. And, and as we talk with people, there's an immense pressure to accept the redefining of terms and concepts to accept different perspectives and lifestyles. And, and, and all the while, the truth of God's word calls us back to this pillar, this unchanging truth that we can count on. Why? Because it is the word of an unchanging God who was the same yesterday, today, and will be the same forever. It is his word that leads and guides our lives. And he has the authority to speak. He has the right to declare truth. He has the ability to set standards because he is creator. Because everything began with him as creator. as the author, as the initiator, who never changes. We find in him a truth that we can count on, a truth that we can set our lives by, a truth that becomes our guide, a truth that never changes. Today, as we continue our series on the armor of God, we're going to talk about the, the belt of truth, this first piece of armor. Last week, we talked about the instructions we have about how to put on and use the armor of God. Today, we're, we're going to begin 
talking about the pieces of that armor. And truth is the topic that we'll discuss as we talk about this belt. We're going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 6, these 10 verses that we began with last week, verses 10 through 20. And I want to remind you of the challenge that we face together as a church to memorize this passage of scripture. I know it's, it's a lot. 10 verses is a, is a big chunk to memorize, but there's something incredible that happens in us when we commit ourselves and we, to memorizing the word of God, not just reading his word and setting it aside, but filling our minds with his word in a way that we, we carry it with us and we allow those words to turn and we, we contemplate them from different angles and our understanding of them grows when we allow God's word to penetrate deeply into our minds. It becomes a lamp that guides our feet and lights our path. When we memorize those words and we hide them in our heart, they help give direction to our lives so that we can live without sinning against God, living true to those words as they make a bigger difference in our lives. And so today we will begin reading these 10 verses. And as we're reading, I would encourage you to, to, to think through, to keep reading this passage so that in the course of the next few weeks, we'll be able to memorize it, repeat, recite, and have these words hidden in our hearts. Let's begin in verse 10 together of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, Paul says, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, we've had the instructions from Paul. We begin talking about the pieces of armor with this belt of truth and the instructions Paul provides along with these articles of armor, this gear that we put on, is to stand firm. And, and verse 14, Paul tells us, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. The belt of truth is this first piece, this significant piece that binds all the rest of the pieces together. And, and Paul encourages us, as we think about putting on this armor, to put ourselves in a posture of readiness. Stand firm with the belt of truth. This, this spiritual posture that, that we take on so that when the armor is in place, we'll be ready. That this, this posture we take on so that we will be able to endure. 
to, to make a difference in the world around us, to overcome the schemes of the enemy. The, this posture that enables us to keep on standing, even after we face significant difficulty. And these words from Paul, to, to stand firm then, uh, brought to mind a very important question that I think we all should answer for ourselves. And so when I ask you to, to think about your faith, your relationship with the Lord, uh, all the things that you've gone through, where you, where you see yourself now in relationship to God, if you were to use posture to describe your faith, what, what would you say is your spiritual posture? Would you, would you describe yourself as a reverent person, a person who finds themselves praying a lot? And you would say, well, my posture would be kneeling before the Lord in prayer. Maybe you, you thrive in, with music and, and worship is something that you love. And you would say, well, my posture is with my hands raised as, as I lift up worship to the Lord. I'm a worshipful person. Maybe you're, you're a people person. You, you, you love talking to people. And so you would say, well, spiritually speaking, my posture would be like seated at a coffee shop with a hot cup of coffee, having a, a, a real conversation with another person, helping them understand their need for Jesus, helping them grow in their relationship with him. That's my, that's my spiritual posture. Maybe as you think about all the things that you've been through in your faith, all of the, the things that you've endured, you, you've been thinking about, about your relationship with the Lord right now, and the other things that you have going on in your life. All the things that demand your attention, all the things that you care about. If you're perfectly honest about the posture you have right now, you'd have to say, well, I'm feeling a little apathetic about my faith. I have so many other things I care about. I don't know that I... I'm really investing a lot of time and attention and energy. Maybe the posture that would just describe my faith right now is is laying down, inactive. Maybe because of the things that you've endured, the difficulties that you've encountered in a particular church, relationships that you've had with other believers, you're angry. Maybe you're angry with God, the events that have taken place in your life leading you to this place. You've come come to this emotional experience with the Lord that you can't overcome. And because of your anger, you're feeling disgruntled and your posture is with arms crossed and your legs crossed and your eyes crossed. And you you look angry and you feel disgruntled and your posture reflects that aspect of your faith. Maybe in your experience, there's a hurt that you haven't yet overcome that your relationship with the church leader that your experience in a church that your relationship with another believer was broken you felt betrayed and there's a hurt that you just can't get over and because of that pain You've got your back turned to the Lord. And you're not entirely sure you want to look him in the eye. You're not sure you want to see him face to face. And you're not entirely sure you want to see that other person face to face either. Maybe you are thinking about your faith and all the the things that you have endured. And to be perfectly honest, you're tired. 
You're tired of contending with all of the difficulty going on around you in the world. You're tired of the arguments over truth and relativism. You're tired of enduring and trying to remain faithful in the face of all this difficulty, and you've just slumped spiritually. Maybe. You've come to a place in your faith where you know something is about to turn. You know something is about to change. And, and you're not entirely sure what's coming. And, and so you're, you're, you're waiting. And your spiritual posture is seated. Not, not because you're, you're having a conversation with somebody else, but because you're, you're just sitting down and waiting. I know it's pretty convenient because all of you are sit, seated. And because you know something is coming and it hasn't yet come, you're content to just wait. And so you're not really serving. You're not really active. You're not really doing. You're just waiting. Waiting for that time when God will point you to the role that you have to play. Waiting for that time when God will call you into service and that thing that you want to do. And, and because it hasn't happened yet, sitting and waiting is a good way to describe your faith. Maybe you recognize that, that, that God is going to be turning your life and something big is coming. And, and to be very honest, you know that that thing is going to call on more of your time and energy. And, and the, the thought of that commitment, that thought of, of what God is going to call you to is a little overwhelming and a little scary. And because you're afraid, you're, you're distant from God. You're, you're, you're withdrawn from him, maybe even cowering away because you aren't quite ready to step forward into that next thing he has for you to do spiritually. Paul's words here in this passage call us to think about all the things that have happened in our past spiritually. They call us to evaluate our current position, think about where we are and what we're doing for the Lord. And then Paul's words call us to set that posture aside and to take on the posture he's calling us to as we receive the equipment from God, this armor to put on. And he says, stand firm then. Stand firm with the armor that God provides. Stand firm with the belt of truth. And Paul calls us beyond where we've been to take on this new posture of preparedness, to leave behind the hurt and the pain and the, the, the history that follows us and to move forward in our relationship with the Lord, to stand firm with the armor of God so that we can be faithful, so that we can serve, so that we can Invest ourselves wholly in what it is that God is calling us to do and to be. In order for us to take a stand with the belt of truth, we have to buckle that belt of truth around our waist. As we think about this piece of the armor, I think it's important for us to imagine what this, this belt would look like. The belt of a warrior, the belt of a soldier. The belt that a soldier would put on was typically a thick band of leather that would go around the waist, be cinched tight and buckled. That wide band of leather would very often have an, an apron of thick leather, sometimes reinforced with metal, to protect all of the vital organs of the waist region. We'll keep this church appropriate. The, the, the belt and the apron just protect all the stuff in the waist area, okay? It's meant to be utilitarian. It's meant to have a purpose. And so hanging on the belt of truth is a sheath for the sword, the sword of the spirit. That's the word of God. It's not a coincidence that truth and the word of God are connected together. When a soldier was ready for battle, this belt would be wrapped, cinched, tied, buckled. 
and the, the, the garments of the soldier would be kept tight with this belt. In, in the Roman world at this time, Paul was writing from imprisonment, uh, probably under house arrest with Roman guard, and he could see firsthand what the, what the gear of a soldier looked like as he's writing this spiritual connection to the pieces of armor. And in the, the flowing robes and the tunics that were worn at this time, the belt would hold all that loose fabric in place. And uh, if a regular person was conscripted into army and, and put on armor and still had on these flowing robes, they would wrap up all that, that cloth and, and tuck it in and tuck it into the belt to free their legs so they could be mobile and not trip up in all of that loose fabric. They were ready for battle. And when the belt was buckled, it was a sign that they were ready. If you encountered a soldier with a belt undone and garments flowing, that meant they were off duty, not prepared to engage in the battle. And so Paul calls us to stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around the waist. This belt would hold the garments together. It would hold other pieces of armor in place. And the breastplate of righteousness would be uh, put on front and back. And, and where it came down to where the belt was, it, the, it would be cinched in and held in place by the belt so it wouldn't shift and move, so that it wouldn't leave you vulnerable. But the, the belt would hold it exactly where it needed to be. And we see how the pieces of armor work together in this, in this whole outfit of the armor of God. That this idea of truth guiding our lives would not just be a truth that we believe and truth that we speak, but it would guide our actions as well. And this breastplate of righteousness is held in place by the truth that we live our lives according to critical part of, of these pieces of the armor working is that they work in conjunction with one another, supporting each other, holding each other in place, augmenting their effectiveness and usefulness. The belt was the foundation for armor, as, as truth is the foundation for our Christian lives. This belt not only would hold things together, not only would hold up the, the sword swinging at the soldier's side, but the belt was meant also to, uh, to be a protection for the lower back. And so uh, I want, if you can imagine a weightlifter's belt, have you ever seen one of those big wide leather belts that a weightlifter will put on and, and cinch tight? Maybe you've worked in a factory or distribution center and you've seen that lumbar support, those wide bands that go around the middle to keep your back in the right position that, that make sure you have proper form when you're lifting heavy things so that you don't hurt your back, so you don't pull a, a muscle or pinch a nerve. This is the idea that we have with the belt of truth. In fact, the original language talked about very specifically girding the lower back with the belt of truth, the word that we then would apply to a girdle. So this tight piece that's worn around the middle to keep everything in its proper place. And as the belt of truth keeps our form true, it enables us to wield the strength of the Lord to stand tall, to keep our backs straight, keep our heads held high. It's the belt of truth that holds those things together. And, and if you've ever faced accusations, whether true or untrue, you know that under the weight of that scrutiny, under the weight of those stories that are repeated about you, that it's truth that enables you to hold your head high. It's truth that enables you to keep your back straight because you know what really happened. No matter what it is that other people might say about you, it's the truth that keeps things together. Now, we, we're talking specifically about this belt 
of truth given to us by God is his armor. And there's absolutely a connection to the truth of God's word and the authenticity of our belief in him. But there's also this aspect of living truthfully as we place this belt around our waist and cinch it tight. As we buckle the belt of truth on, it calls us to live our lives with honesty and integrity that we would choose to be an example in the world around us, to say truthful and meaningful things, to not be lured into the trap of, of, of hedging and, and twisting and manipulating statements, but that we would instead very decisively speak the truth with love in all circumstances, that we would consider what people need to hear and, and say the most meaningful and truthful things that we can, that our lives would be a representation of integrity in the world around us. We'd be an example for the Lord as we choose to live honestly according to the truth that binds our lives together in him. As we seek to live according to his truth, as we seek to buckle this belt around our waist. It's important for us to go and find the belt that we need to put on. Last night, I was getting ready for Sunday morning, my routine. I get out the clothes that I want to wear, and I iron them, and I hang them in the guest room. So when I wake up early on a Sunday to get ready, I can shower and go get dressed and not wake anybody else up. And so uh, this morning, I went in to put my clothes on, and uh, realized that I had gathered everything I need, ironed everything, it was all ready to go. It was, you know, shower, get dressed, leave the house without waking anybody up, except I didn't have my belt. I know it's too convenient. I didn't do it intentionally, so I'd have a great story to tell. Literally put all my clothes and went, oh no, I have to go find my belt. I have to go back in the bedroom, turn the light on, risk waking up my wife early in the morning. And, and so I went to find my belt in the place where I knew my belt should be. Now, the reason I know where my belt should be is because my wife is much more organized than I am. In my closet, there are three baskets on a shelf. The first basket has white t-shirts in it, like undershirts. The second basket is all belts. The third basket is neckties. And when my closet is organized, I know that I can go into my closet, get that basket of belts out, and pull out the belt that I want to wear. And I have more than one belt. You know, the brown goes with brown tan, black belt goes with black and gray, you know, I can get, I can dress myself. I know how this works. The problem I have is that my wife is much more organized than I am. And when I'm in a rush, when I've had a busy day, I don't care about organization. And so my baskets, instead of having three separate baskets, each with their own thing, I have three baskets and each one contains shirts and ties and belts and shirts and ties and belts and shirts and ties and belts. Because in my haste, I just throw them in there. And I know that when I go to find a belt, it's not as easy as it should be. My belts aren't always even in my closet. Sometimes when it's been a really busy day, I don't bother taking my belt out of the, the loops. And my belt goes with my pants into the hamper and down to the laundry room. If I've worn a belt during the day and then gone to the gym, sometimes my belt will be in my gym bag and it might even still be in the trunk of my car. And so the next morning when I go to get dressed, there are a number of places I could go to find my belt. And I don't always start in the place where my belt should be. Sometimes I go searching in those 
one of those other places to find it. Now, here's the connection. When we come to a place in our lives where we want to come to a decision about the truth of Jesus Christ, where we want to discover that truth about him and make a decision for ourselves, and we know where to find that truth, we know that God's word is written to provide this standard, this unchanging standard for us to return to and be informed and be guided and be instructed. But instead of going where we know the truth is, we go looking in other places. Have you ever had a conversation with someone? Have you ever personally been in this place where you, where you, you want to make a good decision? You want to, you want to find information. You want to, you want to grow in your understanding of the truth about Jesus Christ. And so you say, I'm going to go and find information on the internet. I'm going I'm to let Google guide me as I discover the truth about Jesus Christ. Oh, okay. I've had this conversation with people. They say, oh, I, I want to know more about Jesus. So I'm going to do some research. I'm going to read books written by theologians in the past, church leaders, church fathers, we'll call them. I'm going to read what they've written about their understanding of the word of God. Instead of going to, to scripture, I'm going to read what other people say about scripture. Oh, okay. Sometimes people say, well, I really want to know more about the Lord. I really want to come to a decision about Jesus, but I know that I've got to figure some things out about myself first. So as I'm discovering this truth, I'm going to, I'm going to do some self-discovery. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a trip. I'm going to, I'm going to seclude myself so that I can align my thoughts, so that I can discover what's going on on the inside and make a decision for myself about what I think the Bible might be saying. Huh. There are others who, who want to know more about the, the truth about Jesus, and, and, and they decide they're going to invite the opinions of all their friends, the people around them. What, what is it that you believe? Tell me about your church. Tell me about your faith. They might even go so far as to start listening to news media or social media to, to gain other perspectives about what scripture says. When we want to know the truth, when we want to discover more about the truth, we, we need to go back to the place where we know truth can be found. We need to go back to the place where, where we know we can find it. We need to go back to scripture to find the unchanging truth of the word of God to inform us, to guide us, to instruct us. God's word should be the standard by which we measure our living, by which we measure our thinking, by which we measure the, the words that come out of our mouths, by which we measure the influence that we have in the lives of other people. It should be the standard of God's word that is not only the pillar supporting our lives, but also is the compass that points us in the right direction. It's the beacon that reminds us the place where we're going. It is the standard through which we align all aspects of our lives. And it brings all of those pieces of our lives that have been fragmented and, and spread back into alignment with him. That's how significant the truth is that we buckle around our waist. And I find it interesting that Paul says, buckle the truth around your waist. Shouldn't we buckle truth around our heads? Should we have a headband of truth that we're wearing with our spiritual armor? Well, he's already used the, the, the helmet for salvation. So there should be some other headgear because truth is something that we listen to and believe. 
Truth is something that, that goes into our brain. No, Paul says, buckle the truth around your way. There's a greater impact that truth should have in your life than just your thoughts. It should filter down to your heart. Convicting you, motivating you. Not just your feelings, but the drive inside of you. It should be informed by the truth. It should continue filtering down to the very innards of your soul that your gut reactions and instincts would be driven by the truth of God's word. That every aspect of your being would be changed and shaped and guided by an unchanging standard. And so we buckle the belt of truth around our waist because this, this, this large belt holds every aspect of the armor of God and of our lives together in Christ. And it's important for us to be able to live according to the truth. And so we continue following Paul's words to put on the full armor of God. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, knowing that everything is placed, knowing that everything is held together and held up by this belt of truth, supported, strengthened, so you can wield the strength of the Lord most effectively without hurting yourself in the process. So you can bear the weight of the armor that's more than you're used to carrying. That belt holds you in the proper form. So you can carry a shield and a sword with you and not hurt your back because it's weight that you're unaccustomed to. But God would not only provide you all the equipment that you need, he provides the strength and the support and the foundation for you to stand firm with all of that armor, ready for the devil's schemes, ready for the mission that he's calling you to, ready to take your stand and make a difference in the world around you. You put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Why is it that truth is what helps us stand against the devil's schemes? It's because of the way that Satan attacks. He has a variety of attacks, attacks but truth helps us, especially when Satan attacks us with lies. And this is the work of Satan to convince us to believe things that aren't true. And so he uses blatant falsehood, hoping he'll catch us. He uses things that sound true, but have been twisted to trap us in believing them. He takes things that are half true and gets us to believe the part that is true and then brings out the part that isn't. He manipulates and distorts trying to tear you apart, trying to knock you down. It's the truth that holds us together in Christ. Have you encountered the lies of Satan? Paul says, be ready, stand firm because they're coming. As Satan reaches into your past, and holds failure in front of your face. You remember that time when you failed? You'll never succeed. You'll never be more than you are. Satan reaches into the past, takes hold of the sin that was there, and throws it in your face. This is who you are. This is all that you can become. You will never escape this temptation. It will always be a part of your life. And along with that sin adds guilt. And shame to tear you down, to push you back, to make you fall. 
Satan reaches into your past and brings out the hurt and sorrow because of the things that you've lost. And says the sorrow, pain, it's never going away. There will not be an end. And you can't overcome it. He reaches into our past, remembering the difficulty we've had accepting who we are. And he throws it in our face and says, you aren't good enough. You don't deserve the love of God. You aren't good enough for your spouse. You aren't good enough for your friend. You aren't good enough to sit in the same row with these other Christians in this church. You aren't good enough. The lies of Satan to tear us down and hold us down with the weight of their oppressive force and the strength that we've been given in the Lord and his mighty power is this belt of truth that protects us from those lies, that reminds us of the hope we have because of the love and grace of Jesus Christ, that we have been deemed worthy, that we have been instilled with value Because God made us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He formed us and shaped us with his own hands. We are his handiwork. His beautiful creation. And he has thought forward about what our lives will be. And he has prepared good things for us to do for his glory and for his kingdom. And he has prepared us to do those good things. If we can believe the truth about ourselves and not fall to the lies of Satan. We're worthy of his love and grace because he has said we're worthy because we are made in his image because he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. That Jesus sees such value in each and every one of us that he laid down his life. He endured the torture of the cross so that his blood could be shed to forgive us from our sins, to set us free from the captivity of the lies of Satan to set us free from our past so that we can live our lives in him and grow to become a reflection of his image in the world around us. A light shining in dark places. An example to those who need to be reminded of what it is to belong to the Lord. We're worthy because God says we're worthy. We're worthy because God made us to be worthy. Not because of what we do for him, but because he loves us that much and is calling us to understand who he made us to be. Paul says, stand firm. Stand firm against the devil's schemes. And we take on this posture that Paul instructs us, be ready with the armor of God. And, and we recognize the next part of this, this stance that we take. Not only is it important for us to be equipped to have the strength of the Lord, but it's important for us to, to recognize that where we put our feet is important. That, that when, we, when we stand firm, we have to stand on something solid. When I was a kid, I loved to play King of the Hill. And we would, we would look for like, like, Big, big hills, piles of dirt, piles of gravel. My grandparents were, were uh, setting a foundation for a house. And so they had some piles getting ready to, to lay all this stuff. And so we went out there and, and we, we played this game. And so one, one of us would go and stand on top of this pile uh, of soil or gravel and, and, and 
put our feet in and slide and kind of dig in up to our ankles. And the rest of us would, would just run and push and shove and try and knock whoever's on top of the hill down, just tumble down. It was so much fun. We filthy. And the next person, whoever it was that knocked him down, would go stand up on the hill and put their feet down and try and fend off everybody else. You know, we never played. We never played king of the concrete. We never went out to a driveway and stood and said, okay, knock me down. There's, a, there's no fun in that. Because concrete is, is firm and secure and stable. And when you stand and you stand firm on solid ground, it's difficult to be knocked over. It's difficult to be torn down. It's difficult to be. And so we think about what it is to stand firm. That the location of where we stand is significant. Paul says, stand firm. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Take your stance in him and stand on the rock. Stand on the truth about Jesus Christ. Don't put your feet on shifting sand. Don't put your feet on gravel that's going to move with the weight of your body. Find the rock and put your feet on the rock. Trust in the truth, the identity of Jesus Christ, and live your life in him. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for the message from your word today about the armor, about this belt of truth. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of its significance in our lives, that you would, you would strengthen us, that you would support us, that you would protect us with the truth of your word. God, I pray that you would inspire us to live truthfully, to live in the integrity of honesty, that our lives would reveal and reflect your glory as we live for you. Lord, I pray for each one of us as we endure difficulty, as we endure the schemes of Satan, as we are discouraged and torn down, that we would be reminded of the strength we have in you and the equipment that you've provided for us to stand in the whirlwind of spiritual warfare that we face, that we would find strength in you, to remain standing no matter what we encounter, that we would endure be faithful. Thank you in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.